Well, good morning and welcome to the first week of Lent. I'm Adam Wright. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network as we continue our Lenten journey. Let's pray to begin our morning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is great to be back with you on this Monday morning. We had a fantastic weekend, a fantastic weekend. Uh, Yesterday was a great joy because my wife and son and I went to what will be his high school next year for the welcome mass for the class of 2028. And uh, it was just great to pray with some other families uh, as we get ready for the next year to edifying to hear the president of the school talk about how gathering for mass is the single most important thing that the school community does, that there is nothing more important than that, and that they're not just there to form minds, but also to form hearts. And uh, that was a great joy. It was great to spend that time uh, just one-on-one with one of the kids and and Beth, and what a joy that was. Saturday, we had a tremendous day at the Catholic Men for Christ conference here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. It was a joy to host. Dr. Ed Shree was there, Pete Burak. Father Anthony Wick and uh, Sean Feltz, you know, a great ministry team put together. And I, I got to tell you, there's so much that Dr. Shree said that I wish we could go into on the show. And maybe in the future, uh, we're, we're hoping to get him on to talk about some of those things. He and I had a great conversation after his second talk. Um, but I want to take you to something that Father Anthony Wick said before we dive into today's show. And it was about the Sacrament of Reconciliation. It was about going to confession. And it was just a very simple reminder for us. And you've heard me give a lot of the reasons, you know, among them, chief among them. If you are in a state of mortal sin, you are cut off from sanctifying grace. And the normative means for being restored to that state of sanctifying grace is through the sacrament of reconciliation by having a humble, contrite, repentant heart, confessing your sins, all of them, mortal sins, number and kind, to the priest and receiving absolution. But, you know, when we've talked about the the virtue of a, a... devotional confession, even if you're not in a state of mortal sin, and how that's good for you, and it helps further the life of grace. But there's a point that I I haven't said on the show that I'm so glad Father reminded us of. These things that we just said are very important. In addition to them, it pleases God. Why should we go to confession? It pleases God. You know, how often do we say, I want to do something nice for my spouse, for someone I know, et cetera, et cetera. You want to do something nice for God this Lent? It pleases him for us to go to confession. And I'm so glad Father Wick gave us that reminder. Today on the show, we are going to you know, somewhat continue this Lenten retreat journey we've been on here with Roadmap to Heaven. Um, we're going to talk about the Stations of the Cross with Monsignor Eugene Morris from the Oratory of Saints Gregory and Augustine. Uh, he, he was able to sit down with us last week, and we're going to bring you that conversation today. Um, and throughout the season of Lent, he and I are going to be reflecting on various stations of the cross as we make our Lenten journey together here on the show. Also, we have Jason Everett with us this morning to talk about two events coming up in our listening area in Jefferson City and in Alton in that first week of March. So if you're in either of those areas or proximate to those areas, uh, pay attention especially because it's not a bad drive, really. Both of those locations are pretty 
easy to get to from a large part of our listening area, and you may want to know about those, but we're going to talk about those, chastity, uh, and a, a whole lot more with Jason on the show today. Before we get to any of that, because we do have a full show for you, let's go to Mike Roberts for the weather and the saint of the day, and then we'll be back with Jason Everett after that. Today is the feast day of St. Conrad of Piacenza. Born in Italy in the late 13th century, his birth name was Corrado Confalonieri, and he was from a family of nobles. One day, as he was hunting, he ordered his servants to set a fire to flush out game, but the fire spread rapidly, causing great destruction to the fields and to the forests of the area. A peasant who happened to be nearby was mistakenly arrested and condemned to death. Seeing this, Conrad confessed that he had started the fire. His life was spared, but he was stripped of his wealth. Conrad was devastated, and so was his wife. After much prayer, they decided to separate and give their lives to the Lord. She joined the poor Clares, and Conrad became a hermit near his hometown. His reputation as a holy man of God grew rapidly, and soon a great number of pilgrims were going to see him. So he moved on, ultimately discovering a remote spot in Sicily, where he found a grotto and lived for many years. But in 1343, after much prayer, Conrad felt called to serve the Lord's people more directly, so he went to a nearby hospital, St. Martin's, to care for the sick. However, when he could, Conrad would still occasionally slip away to his grotto. He died on this day in Sicily in 1351. St. Conrad of Piacenza, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed Friday. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. The Holy Face O blessed face of my kind Savior, by the tender love and piercing sorrow of Our Lady, as she beheld you in your cruel passion, grant us to share in this intense sorrow and love, so as to fulfill the holy will of God to the utmost of our ability. Amen. Jason and Kristalina Everett are the founders of Chastity Project. You've probably been to their website, chastity.com, and the last two years at the Seek 24 and 23 conferences here in St. Louis, I got to tell you, the line to go to Jason's talks or to go to the booth to meet him, to ask him questions, was wrapped around our booth several times. We're very happy to have Jason Everett with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. Jason, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Thanks for having me on. You know, I, I'm just going to dive in like I do every time I have the opportunity to speak with Kristalina on the show. I'm going to talk about my own experience, my own kids, and, you know, our own questions that we're facing as they grow older. As a parent of a boy, as a parent of a girl, especially as they're getting into those high school years, they're really getting deeper with these questions they're asking about. Well, Dad, you know, you keep saying that as Catholics we believe this, but... What I see on TV or what I see out in the world or what my friend told me or this and that, Jason, there's a lot of confusion in our world right now. And, you know, I can't fault my kids for saying, Dad, I'm confused. What do we actually believe about what a man is, what a woman is, what our bodies are for, what what's appropriate to do, what's not appropriate to do? And since you're the expert, I just want to start with this. How, how do you dive into this? Well, I think one of the keys is you got to use teachable moments when they happen. You know, there, there's so much stuff, as you said, getting thrown at our kids through the media. And instead of just looking at it as like, oh, man, everything's just going to hell in a handbasket, uh, we might want to say, okay, well, 
Okay, we all saw that commercial. We drove past that billboard. We saw that thing. Um, let's speak the truth into that now. Let's let me just take a minute and frame that so your understanding is, is what it should be. I mean, I, I went took my kids to a NBA basketball game, and uh, the cheerleaders came out, which is enough of a problem. But then one of them was a guy. Um, not like a big buff college cheerleader guy throwing the cheerleaders around, but a guy dressed like the girls doing all the girl dances, but he had like a beard. And my kids, you know, the little ones are like, oh, look at that. And they laugh. And then they realize, like, wait a minute, th- this is not like a parody. This is not some game. The, the guy's serious. Dad, what's going on there? What is he doing? You know, and I thought, okay, I'm, I wasn't really planning on having a discussion about gender dysphoria with my eight-year-old on the way home from a basketball game, but um, let's go there. And then, you know, starting to take the time to explain it um, of, you know, why this person deserves love and compassion, but that they also deserve the truth and that our bodies are not meaningless, that our bodies are meaningful, you know, that our bodies reveal who God created us to be. Um, And so I think we got to use those teachable moments when they throw themselves at us and our kids and then also start early. don't think it's all about giving your kid like the talk like you know when do i give my kid the talk like you drop some chastity bomb on him when he's 13 and it's gonna inoculate him from lust forever it's like you don't do that with english or math you know when do we have the math talk um this is a a lifelong conversation and so start early in a way that's age appropriate and uh don't be afraid to speak up because i mean if you are quiet as a parent the world will fill the void of your silence with a very contrary message that is the uh, truth right there. I mean, it, Jason can't put it any plainer, and it's a lived experience, sadly, for too many of us that sometimes we think, oh, I've got a little bit of time before I need to talk with my kids about this, and then they come home and ask that question. You're like, okay, I guess I'm out of time, and uh, now is yeah. the moment here. You know, Jason, we mentioned that when we were at Seek, I mean, the, the line to come see you was wrapped around our booth, but stepping into the back of the set of the uh, auditoriums where your sessions were, I mean, they were just filled. And I know there were a lot of questions that people were asking. What are some of those questions that you get asked about gender, about chastity and the struggles that, you know, our youth and young adults are having today? Well, I remember one uh, college guy came up to me after the talk I presented on gender and he and he shared with me how he's been struggling with gender dysphoria for a long time. And, uh, and we started talking about it and he didn't have gender dysphoria. He had something that's known as autogynephilia, um, which is when a, a man, you know, typically starts, you know, when he's young and he starts dressing in private as a woman, not because he thinks he is one, but because there's a, a type of arousal and fascination about that. And so the word autogynephilia is the love of oneself as a woman. And, uh, and I explained them. My guess is that, you know, it started when you're young and you're home and private, and then maybe you had a sibling, you know, a sister and, you know, you tried on some stuff and, you know, and then there was a little arousal associated with that, but you don't think that you're a female. You just found yourself, you know, using this to, in a, in a strange way to kind of connect with the feminine and, uh, and, and he, his, he said, my gosh, he said, you just explained my entire life. He said, I always felt like the gender dysphoria label didn't quite fit me, but I couldn't put a word on it. And so, so many of them are struggling with different ways. I mean, when it comes to, like dating and relationships, uh, 
I mean, the most common questions we get are like, how do you know this is the one, you know, or how far is too far? And it's so challenging for them because we kind of live in a culture of single people who pretend like they're dating. The dating people behave like they're married and the married people seem to think they're single. Like everything is out of order. So they, they kind of ache for authentic love, but they're not sure how to find it. I'm really glad you bring that up because that question of how far is too far in chastity in relationships, I was um, you know, going through it as we do sourcing content, looking what's happening in the world and whatnot. And I, I saw a post, and I'm, I'm trying to remember where I saw this, but it was talking about the need for educating our children about chastity and even educating ourselves about chastity because uh, in some, some areas where we are still concerned about virtues and about moral living, you know, maybe we, we focused so heavily on virginity, and, and we should strive to protect that for those who are not married, who, you know, it is a gift. But we also can't say we're going to focus solely on that and leave chastity out, uh, because if you're not living a chaste life and you're called to virginity in whatever state you're in, it's going to be really hard to protect that if you're not living chastely. And it all is tied together. And that's why I also love that you talk about it's different. You know, my youngest kid, I'm not going to talk about things the same with my youngest kid as I am with my oldest kid. But one of the other things I see out there, Jason, and I encounter, and I've been asked this question, and even I don't know all the time how to answer it, is that question of like, okay, well, even if you believe this, like even if you believe chastity is important, and even if you believe that single people need to act like single people, and dating people need to act like dating people, and married people need to act like married people, why does it matter and why do you get to speak up? You know, what gives you the right to say this is objective truth and not just, you know, my own perspective and, and we can all get along on this? Why is proclaiming this truth so important in 2024? Yeah, well, well, two things there. One, you know, I want to reiterate what you said about the distinction between virginity and chastity, because if what we're promoting is just abstinence and virginity, uh, there's two dangers in that. Uh, you know, one is some teens will fall into the mindset, OK, well, so long as I'm technically a virgin, I'm still being good. But meanwhile, they're doing all these unchaste things and they're looking at porn and they're doing all this stuff, but they're technically a virgin. So they're staying on the side of that one red line. Um, so that's obviously an issue. But then the other issue is, well, what about for the kids who've lost their virginity or who have suffered abuse, have their virginity taken from them? Uh, what we need to remind them is that your value does not come from your virginity. Like your, your sexuality has value because of you. You are the gift. You still have yourself to give because if they think, no, virginity is the greatest gift I could ever give a man and it's gone. So I lost the greatest gift. And so I'm damaged goods and it's too late for me. Like, no, no, no. Virginity is not the greatest gift you're going to give a man. You are the greatest gift you can give a man. You're the gift. And so we need to kind of reiterate that for those who think that it might be too late for them. But in terms of your second part of that question, in terms of the subjective morality, I would put it back in the person's lap of just like, okay, well, what is it you really want? When it comes to relationships, do you just do you really want like a string of meaningless hookups with random people who might not be in their your life six months from now? Is that really what you want? You know, do you women really want a guy who really can't even say no to his sexual impulses in which saying yes to them really means nothing? I mean, what do you really long for? And I find that these young people, what they really want is a love that's going to last, that's authentic, where they're not being used, where they're not being objectified. Um, not only does the woman long to be looked at with pure eyes, where John Paul II called it that she has all the peace of the interior gaze, that instead of knowing in her heart that she's being looked at as some thing to be used for gratification, 
because a man has enough purity of heart to see her body as a revelation of his call to love her, that, that women ache for that. And I really believe guys do too. Like guys want to give their bride that, but it's like, okay, how do I do that when I've been exposed to so much pornography? I've got these like lust goggles and I don't even know how to look at a woman except through this lens of lust. So I think if you get beneath all these superficial objections that freedom is just the ability to do whatever the heck that I want to a deeper understanding that freedom exists for the sake of love. It exists so that you can make a gift of yourself. And if we value freedom as an end in itself, we become slaves to our own selfishness. And this is not what we ultimately ache for. So what I would try to do is really enter into that person of like, what is it you really long for? Because it's not about following all these rules so you don't go to hell. It's about actually wanting heaven for the person that you love. Amen. I... Yeah, I second that, folks. I'm just going to say that right here. I second that wholeheartedly. Now, um, Jason, the reality is that as much as we try to engage as Catholics striving to become saints, you know, all of us here on Roadmap to Heaven every day, we're just focused on living out the everyday life and every opportunity that God invites us to choose Him, to choose holiness over, you know, virtue over vice. Uh, We always still have questions, especially those of us who are parents. We're always getting ready for what's that next thing I'm going to need to address. And that's where I'm really happy to share with our listeners that you're actually going to be in our listening area in the early part of March, uh, you know, March 3rd in Jefferson City at the Cathedral of St. Joseph in Jefferson City for a double feature event, and then on March 4th in Alton, Illinois, at uh, St. Mary's Catholic Church right there in downtown Alton, also for a double feature event. Now, I like a good movie as much as the next person, but that's not what we're talking about when we say double feature here. Uh, This is a great opportunity, not just for parents, if I understand correctly, but for, for parents and their, their teenage children, perhaps, to to come and learn some of these things and be edified in some of these things. But rather than me guess around at about what happens in a double feature, can you share with us what we can expect? Yeah, the first presentation is specifically for the teens. It's called Love or Lust, and it's a chastity talk intended for teens anywhere from 13 years old up through high school, even college. But it's you know specifically directed to those high school kids for the struggles that they're going through, for the the values the parents want to instill in their kids, but sometimes the parents feel like, I don't know that I always have the right words to say, or my kid rolls his eyes. Well, hey, bring them on down. I'll take an hour, hour and a half with the the teens, and the parents will be there too so they can hear what it is that I'm saying because the parents are the primary sex educators, not me or the church or the school or the state. It's the parents, but oftentimes they need a little backup. And so uh, it's going to be an explanation of the virtue of chastity and how and why to live that. And then we take a little break. And then the second presentation is on the subject of gender. And uh, so a lot of these kids, as you said, are in these schools are exposed to this media that's telling them, you know, hey, there's 58 genders, 71 genders, or they have a friend who identifies as non-binary, or maybe you got a cousin who wants you to use they, them pronouns. Like, oh, how do we navigate through this stuff with charity, but at the same time with clarity? And so the second presentation will be obviously for the parents and the teens on that subject of gender. And then we conclude it with a time of Eucharistic adoration and the sacrament of reconciliation for the whole family. And so that way it kind of turns just kind of a motivational speech and more of like a miniature retreat for the family. So you can't just hear about purity and, and innocence that you can actually receive the sacrament there and then go home as a family with your baptismal innocence restored. And so it's just an idea to kind of use the teens as bait to get the parents to come so they can hear this message together to open up those doors of conversation uh, to keep that going long after the event is over. Well, that is, uh, you know, that's the kind of event that I would much rather go spend my time at than just uh, 
a doom scrolling on my phone for that evening. I'd rather build up my family and, and build up our, our children and build up my parenting. Um, so I, I look forward to you being in our region here. Again, that's Sunday, March 3rd at the Cathedral of St. Joseph in Jefferson City, and then Monday, March 4th at St. Mary's in Alton, Illinois. For more information and to get tickets, because you do need to get tickets to go, you can go to chastity.com. And while you're there, you can get answers. You can find resources. You can hear more from Jason and, and more from Kristalina. And, and, and I mean, it's just a, a treasure trove of resources as you're trying to learn about chastity, as you're trying to teach your children about chastity, as you're trying to navigate this crazy world we live in and, and keep your family healthy and holy. It's a website that if you haven't visited, I highly suggest you go check it out, chastity.com. Jason, thanks so much for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. We uh, wish you and Kristalina all the best, and thank you for the work you do. Well, thanks for having me on. I just ask your listeners, please pray uh, for us and then for all the teams we speak to, especially when we come into town there in a few weeks. We will certainly do that. And in the meantime, we are going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. A prayer to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of Guadalupe, Mystical Rose, make intercession for Holy Church. Protect the Sovereign Pontiff. Help all those who invoke you in their necessities. And since you are the ever-Virgin Mary and Mother of the True God, obtain for us from your Most Holy Son the grace of keeping our faith, of sweet hope in the midst of the bitterness of life of burning charity, and the precious gift of final perseverance. Amen. It's been a while since we've been able to have Monsignor Eugene Morris from the Oratory of Saints Gregory and Augustine with us on the show. Monsignor, it's great to have you back with us on Roadmap to Heaven. Adam, it is good to be with you, and it has been too long, so thank you as we begin this uh, new year of grace and favor. In the first few days of Lent here on the show, I told our listeners, I feel like we're on a little retreat every morning throughout this whole season of Lent. I love it. It's a great time to go deeper into prayer. And one of the things we've been talking uh, about from time to time is the Stations of the Cross. And we've got a new Stations of the Cross that you can pray online at covenantcatholic.org. It's an initiative we're working on. And you just read the reflections from St. Alphonsus Liguori. There's beautiful images to focus on, just like when you go around the church, you see the stations on the walls. Um, and it's a devotion that many of us are familiar with because as kids in Catholic schools, we pray them every Friday. We go to our parishes and pray them. You know, some go to fish fry and then pray them. And yet it's one that I, I get concerned we're on autopilot. Like we, we're just going to go pray the stations of the cross. We do the same things. We go through the motions and we, we could be going deeper and we should endeavor to go deeper. So I wanted to talk as just a little refresher on the stations of the cross how we should approach them when we get ready to pray them as we continue to pray them throughout this holy season. So I, I, my first comment would be to, to just to echo what you were saying in terms of going deeper and to remind uh, everyone that the purpose of, of repetitiveness in ritual expression is precisely to facilitate that. So there's nothing wrong with going to the stations and the, there being the same ones day after day or Friday after Friday or however frequently you pray them. So I know some people pray them every Friday throughout the year, but certainly the Fridays of Lent and maybe even Wednesday. Wednesday by tradition is also a, a, a serious, a more serious fast and abstinence day uh, in the Lenten season, but also, again, throughout the church's year. But the reason why we do the same thing over and over again is so that in doing that, we're not thinking about the mechanics of the thing, if you will, 
but actually can enter more deeply into what the mechanics are leading us to. So when we, you know, we know the format, if you will, if we pray the stations of the cross. Um, we adore you, O Christ, and we praise you because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. The uh, station is actually articulated in the priest or the deacon who's leading stations or the seminarian, if you're blessed to have a seminarian in your parish, We'll read the various reflections. We know that there are different types of stations of the cross, meaning uh, the one I think that is the most common is the reflections from St. Alphonsus Liguori. Uh, we know there's uh, St. Uh, John Henry Newman has them. Uh, there are other reflections on the stations of the cross as well. So you can pick whichever one you want, and there's some modern ones as well. That really is, a, in some ways, is a personal choice. But I am going to refer to St. Alphonsus because he says at the very beginning— uh, in his method, if you will, that let each one kneeling before the high altar make an act of contrition and form the intention of gaining the indulgences connected to this devotion, whether for himself or for the souls in purgatory. So he says just in that very little reality right there articulates for us what it is that we should be doing to get into and form a greater um, depth, if you will, to what we're doing in the Stations of the Cross. First, you're praying before the high altar, so you're in the presence of our Eucharistic Lord, always. You're making an act of contrition, so you're recognizing, which I think is something that has been lost and obscured in the last 60, 70 years, is that we need to be, in a, and especially in Lent, but we need to be in a constant posture of seeking and asking for God's mercy because we're sinners. Even when we're good and things are firing on all cylinders and things are great, we're still sinners. Uh, that doesn't mean we need to beat ourselves up. It doesn't mean we need to hate ourselves. But one of the ways that we need to understand ourselves in relationship to God is not only that he is creator and we're created, he's father and we're children. He is the one who is merciful because we are the ones in need of mercy. Make an act of contrition and then form the intention of gaining the indulgence. So there's an indulgence to praying the stations of the cross. Again, just to remind our listeners, the circumstances for the reception of an indulgence are the reception of Holy Communion and confession within a timely manner, prayers for the Holy Father, for the Church, praying the Our Father, the Apostles' Creed, and I think there's one more if I'm if I remember correctly. Well, I'll search my mind and get that information, but it's out there. And then the application of the indulgence to yourself or especially to the souls in purgatory. Again, praying for our beloved dead who rely upon us to pray for them. So if nothing else, when you're entering into the stations of the cross, he already says before you, he always plays out before you what you should do. Kneel before Eucharistic Lord, ask for forgiveness for your sins, make a good act of contrition, Pray for the right intention so that the fruit of the indulgence that you're searching for will be applied to you or the souls in purgatory. And as a final thought, just to remember, indulgences are not only no attachment to sin, but no emotional attachment to sin. So gaining an indulgence is not a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's, I think we've talked about this on yeah. the show. It's, it's not an easy thing. But, but that right there, just in a very little, very small paragraph, encapsulates the disposition we should take in preparation to pray the Stations of the Cross. It, it sounds like what St. Alphonsus is saying in that admonition is that every time we pray the Stations and at each station, the station is going to show us something about us, and it's going to show us something about God's love for us. Let's switch that around. It's going to show us something about God's love, and in that reality, it's going to show us something about us. And I apologize, I'm not no, correcting no, no. at all. But I, I, I like to phrase it that way so that we are always keeping in mind that this first is God's initiative. 
And so God loves us. God, There's something about God, particularly Christ's work of redemption that's revealed. And St. Alphonsus does a beautiful job of actually clearly articulating that as we go through each of the stations. And then in the other reflection, how it applies to us and the graces that we're looking for. Yeah. If you were to look at an image of any of the 14 stations and, and you're just reflecting on it, you could start with that question. Why Why did God decide to take this on? Because, you know, he could have chosen not to. Uh, he's God. Why did he choose to do this? Uh, well, Adam, because he loves you and he wants you to be with him in heaven. Okay, but why? why does he... You know, why is this necessary? Well, Adam, that's because you did this. You want to know why he did that? You have to look also at what you did. So, you know, we've heard it said that each strike of the hammer to the nail is because of me. Correct. You know, and it's because of you. And there's no there's no skirting around that. It's it's our sin is why he chose to take this on. So if we're not reflecting upon that, we're missing out. And the stations do a, a good series of the stations of the cross. Um, so I think something a little bit more traditional would provide this is going to clearly remind you of your complicitness in the sufferings of our Lord. To be clear, the Lord does not suffer again each time that right. we sin. So it's not as if we're subjecting him to the cross because he has conquered sin and death through the glories of the resurrection. But when we speak about, and Romano Guardini, the great German theologian, beautifully reflects on the Lord when he's on the cross, the the intensity of his suffering comes not only from what he endures physically, but what he's enduring spiritually. He's taking on all sin, past, present, and future. So he's taking on all of So this is a reality that happens in time and space and in history, but is not limited in its effectiveness and its efficacy to time or space, which is why he can remit sins in the past, those present, and then all of our sins as well. And so we need to admit that. And I, I don't think there is a time um, when I have prayed at the stations, either as a young man, but certainly as an adult, and even more so as a priest, where at some point during the stations of the cross, I, I find myself weeping because of my sin. And I am acutely aware of my sin in a way that sometimes I'm not even aware of it to the same degree when I go to the sacrament of confession, when I've done an examination of conscience. Again, uh, I list off my usual sins, and there they are, and in the order of more serious to less serious, and kind of go from there. Get in and get out. Boom. There you go. Uh, this is, okay, yes, those things that you confess, and you're aware of them, uh, the stations of the cross say you don't get to let them be kind of antiseptic. You need to really take responsibility. You've been forgiven for them, and particularly if you've gone to confession proximate to when you pray the stations. But you still need to take responsibility for what it is that you've done and realize that you are con- that you contribute to the the redemptive work of our Lord as he accomplishes it upon the cross. And, and isn't it a joy that that takes us right back to that indulgence opportunity in praying the stations of the cross? Because, yes, we are forgiven, but that doesn't mean that the, the temporal effects of our sin, the consequences of our sin. If I punch you in the face, if I were to sucker punch you right now— and then later on I'm repentant and go to confession, yes, I, I would be forgiven. Your jaw might still hurt. There might, And our relationship would still suffer some damage. That is that temporal effect, and uh, that's just an easy one to see. I, I shudder to think of the effects of my sin that I don't even know about. Well, and that is the beauty in this maybe a, a topic of another conversation. 
That's the beauty of the general confession, which we don't speak about very often, and it's hard for people to conceptualize it, because oftentimes they approach general confession as uh, really from the guilt they feel for the sin. So if I keep saying over and over and over again, I'm really sorry, I will feel forgiven. Well, okay, first of all, God has forgiven you, so you're not going to improve on God's mercy by just repeating over and over again. So you need to guard yourself, if you will, from some type of Pelagianism, if not Pelagianism, but um, maybe it is a certain degree of Pelagianism, of kind of working out your own salvation. But what a general confession does say to us is that, yes, when you do, you know, like before marriage or before ordination or whatever, it might be some major event in your life, look at the whole of your life, you begin to realize, okay, well, wait a minute, I've been forgiven for this sin, but the effect of this sin on me, on relationship, whatever, on my with God, has had such that I need to I need to recognize that and lay that before the tribunal of mercy. Confession is the normative means by which sins, mortal sins, are forgiven after baptism. That's what the church teaches us. It's the normative means for the forgiveness of sins in general. Although venial sins can be forgiven in other manners, we know we have a sacrament specifically ordered toward the forgiveness of sin. Everything as we approach God's divine mercy beautifully goes back to the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. So to make frequent use of that sacrament and to make frequent application to God for his mercy is never going to be a bad thing. That's where devotional confession comes in as well. And that's I, I love that there are many churches throughout the holy season of Lent that, as you said, maybe the deacon is leading the Stations of the Cross, maybe the seminarian, and, and why not Father? Because Father's in the confessional, either yes. before, after, or during uh, as the stations are being prayed, and you know everything really goes hand in hand in this season. Now, I know that throughout the coming weeks, we're going to visit each station individually. I don't want to get into those now, but I do want to ask a question about um, when we pray, because I mentioned at the beginning of the segment, we do have this great resource that uh, Covenant Network's been working on, this covenantcatholic.org website, where right now we do have Stations of the Cross up. And it is great that, you know, I, I think of Mother Angelica, who encouraged pray the stations every day. Well, that might mean I'm not going to be able to make it to the church to pray the stations. I can pray that in the, the comfort of my home. Uh, and I have a little prayer space set up, and I, I can use that aid or, or any aid to pray the stations. Um, but there's something good about going to the parish church at the appointed time that Father has said during the season of Lent, we are going to pray the Stations of the Cross at these times and praying them in community. Uh, which, I, I don't know, would we consider that liturgical in nature? Uh, yes. Could you speak to the varying degrees of that, why it's good to pray at home, but also why it's important to go to the church and pray the Stations in community with one another? The answer to that question in, in, in some ways is in the reality itself, meaning there is a, a distinction and yet a connectedness between our individual prayer and common communal prayer in the life of the church. Um, some common communal prayers have risen to the level of liturgy, meaning they are universal for the whole church. Not always sacramental, like, so the sacraments have their particular liturgies and rituals, but obviously the stations, the rosary, which also has a, a multiple indulgences attached to its communal recitation. Uh, and I'm not sure I would need to look more specifically in the Enchiridion for indulgence to see if the indulgence for stations is connected actually to its communal recitation as well. I don't know about that, so that would be something that would need to be clarified. But the primary distinction is it is good for us to pray together because we are built for community. Even in our individual prayer, which is my relationship with God, if you will. We, I talk about that, and there's nothing wrong with I need to have, you need to have. You know, you and your wife pray together with your kids. I know that for a fact. 
I know you, and I know you pray individually as well. Your individual prayer, your wife's individual prayer, I know she prays as well, and I'm saying that, folks, because I know they actually do. I wouldn't say this about anybody else, but I know them, and I know that they do. That prayer that you guys pray separately whenever you guys have a chance to do that impacts what you do or how you are, rather, with each other, both as husband and wife and mother and father and the content of your family. So communal prayer, individual prayer, never is meant to be, if you will, um, selfish or self-absorbed, if you will. Even if we ask for things for ourselves or or I'm pleading with God or I'm in prayer because I'm in my relationship with the Lord. But the very nature of being in relationship with God is that I'm in relationship with others. And so it is, I think, a beautiful thing to come together in the church to pray the Stations of the Cross. As a more general comment, it is good to come to church and pray because that is where God actually is. Can you find God? I used to say this all the time when I was teaching in the seminary. You can find God in other places. I love when we traveled as a family for vacation, love going to the beach. Uh, and I find that beautifully calming and peaceful and love being there early in the morning and the evenings. Um, and, and would sometimes see that as a, if you will, a, a spiritual experience. But not every time when I go to the beach will I always encounter God or will it always be a spiritual experience. However, when I go to the church because the Lord has chosen to make his dwelling there, I know that even if I can't feel him, I will always encounter him because he's alive and he's present there. So why do we go to church to pray in general? Because God is there. Why do we go specifically for uh, these types of forms of communal and devotional prayer? Because it is good for us to come together and pray as a faithful people of God. Yeah. You know, I think of the benefit of making that decision. I'm going to pray more this Lent. And one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to pray the Stations of the Cross in sharing that with a good friend of mine. I, I think of my friend Gabe. If, if I were to share that with him, he'd be like, all right, so what time am I going to see you there? Are we going to get to church a little early? Are we going to, you, you want to go out for a beer afterwards? And not that you have to as part of your prayer, um, but to have that, that accountability aspect as well. And it, you know, is another just fringe benefit of everything you just said, but taking it back to the home that I pray better individually when my wife and I pray better together. Yes. And my children pray better individually when we pray as a family together and how that's all related. You know, I mean, it's true for every priest will tell you this, that the, the fire, if you will, with which he is zealously doing his work for his faithful, which then enkindles that fire in them, in him is engendered through his prayer. The recitation of the divine office, of course, praying the rosary, uh, but his own time of meditation. And we also know conversely, sadly, that those priests that have struggled in their priesthood, um, almost to a man, at some point there has been a ceasing of prayer. He gave up on the the first thing that actually was the only thing that was going to make it possible for him to deal with whatever struggles he was contending with. So prayer, our, our individual prayer, is ultimately never just about us. It is and it isn't. And only God is the one who is able to allow us to let it be about us and at the same time call it to something greater. God does that. We don't get to decide that per se. God will decide that for us. And since I don't want to decide that. I go to prayer. I do pray. I'll let God sort it out. And that makes yeah. life much easier. Well, 
we encourage you throughout this holy season of Lent, if you haven't already begun to start making the Stations of the Cross, you've heard me say it before, the road to heaven passes by the foot of the cross. Easter cannot happen without Good Friday. Think of it like the train. If your ultimate destination from St. Louis is Kansas City, you're going to stop at various places along the way. That's the Stations of the Cross in our spiritual life. Monsignor, before we conclude, could we ask for your blessing? Certainly. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Prayer to the Blessed Virgin. O Mary, you desire so much to see Jesus loved. If you love me, this is the favor which I ask of you, to obtain for me a great personal love of Jesus Christ. You obtain from your Son whatever you please. Pray then for me that I may never lose the grace of God, and that I may increase in holiness and perfection from day to day. By that grief which you suffered on Calvary, when you beheld Jesus expire on the cross, obtain for me a happy death, that by loving Jesus and you, my mother, on earth I may receive the reward of loving and blessing you eternally in heaven. Well, here it is, a new week for our Daily Dose of Encouragement, and here with a new theme is Patty Schneier. Patty, what do you have for us this week? Well, as I've said many, many times, I just am always sharing with you through the radio of what I happen to be reading and inspiration that I receive from others, quotes from the saints, scripture, reflections, whatever it is. So for this week's encouragements, it's kind of a funny story. I decided to finally unwrap the cellophane off of a gift that I bought years ago, eight years ago to be exact. I was down in Birmingham at the studios of EWTN, having just been a guest on one of the shows, and I went to the gift shop. I remember I bought a ton of things that day, and some of the things were gifts for others. But one gift I just bought with no one in particular in mind. I just thought it would be one of those in-case-I-need-a-last-minute gift stash. I put it in my stash of those gifts. Eight years have gone by, and I've never given it to anyone. So recently I decided it must have been meant for me. (laughs) It was one of those flip calendars with a quote for each day. And the quotes were from Mother Angelica. So when I finally took the cellophane off, I discovered, oh my gosh, this is a gold mine. And I started reading weeks and months at a time. So this week, the words of encouragement will not be mine. They will be from Mother Angelica, foundress of EWTN, and I promise there are so many nuggets that I'm going to just have to do another week of her quotes in the future. So today, I want to share three quotes from Mother Angelica about becoming a saint. First quote, God wants you to be holy wherever you are. The simple duties of your life done with love cause great rejoicing in the entire kingdom. Second quote, where most men work for degrees after their names— We work for one before our name, S.T., saint. It's a much more difficult degree to attain. It takes a lifetime, and you don't get your diploma until you're dead. I love that. So true. Third quote, saints are ordinary people with the compassion of the Father in their souls, the humility of Jesus in their minds, and the love of the Spirit in their hearts. When these beautiful qualities grow in everyday situations, holiness is born. So today, let's just ponder these beautiful three qualities, compassion, humility, and love to the people that we encounter today. 
Pray with me this short prayer. Lord, show me where I can demonstrate compassion, humility, and love as I go about my day today. And I bet we won't have to look too hard to find a person, a place, a situation that could use our compassion, our humility, and our love. Remember, those are the three qualities of holiness. They're ordinary people with compassion of the Father in their hearts, humility of Jesus in their minds, and the love of the Spirit in their hearts. I don't know where you are right now as you listen to this, but wherever that is, be holy. Patty, thank you for today's dose of encouragement. I just can't get something out of my head this week, and really since we've started the season of Lent, I've been working on a talk I've got to give later this spring, and it's really uh, an amalgamation, a a summary of a lot of different things I've been saying related to the topic of suffering, and in my preparation for that, you know, you go to different sources. You You go to the Holy Scriptures. You go to church teaching. I, in particular, have been turning to St. John Paul II, and uh, as Patty was just reminding us, uh, a great spiritual writer of our time, Mother Angelica. And one of the things that Mother Angelica used to encourage, and Father, uh, Father and I have talked about this, one, one of the friars down at EWTN, was praying the Stations of the Cross every day, that this is not just a Friday and Lent thing. This is something you can do each and every day. And it, it's a great way to meditate, as, as Monsignor and I were talking about, on the suffering of our Lord. Well, it's all about perspective. Yesterday, I had a migraine. We were, you know, like I said, we went to Mass, but the, the place we were at, they were beautiful, huge windows that let in a lot of natural light from outside. But the contrast between that brightness and the, the lighting in the room, I just got a migraine. And I took some acetaminophen after a while, and I said, okay, that's going to help. But until then, Lord, help me, help me to just use this pain for some good. Help, help me be transformed by this physical suffering that I've got right now, recognizing that in the grand scheme of things, especially after meditating upon his passion, death, and resurrection, uh, migraine's pretty mild compared to the torture and torment he went through on the Stations of the Cross. Whereas at another time in my life, I would have said, woe is me, woe is me, this is the worst ever. Uh, stop the world because Adam Wright has a migraine. Everything else is on hold. no. You know, perspective is key in all of this. Don't waste the suffering, but also recognize that suffering is not as bad as you think it is there, Adam. Um, You know, one of the great aids for that, as we mentioned, is at covenantcatholic.org, the Praying the Stations of the Cross. Now, uh, as I said, Monsignor and I are going to offer you reflections on the stations throughout the season of Lent, but it's not going to be all 14 stations at one time. So go there. Pray the stations every day. Can I make that a Lenten challenge for your extra prayer? If, if not every day, how about, as Monsignor said, Wednesdays and Fridays? Or how about Monday, Wednesday, Friday? How about at least four days a week? Can you do that? Also, while you're there, you can sign up for daily rosary reflection emails. These are great. They come to your inbox every morning about 5 a.m. When I turn on my computer in the morning for work, they are right there waiting for me. There's a reflection, but maybe you're like me. Maybe, you know, you want to reflect, but you don't want to read it. Or if you're reading it, uh, something else is going to, a notification is going to pop up on your phone. You're going to get distracted. Oh, what was that? What was that? Well, you can listen to the reflections. There's a link you can listen. They're read by Teresa Holman here at Covenant Network. Uh, so you can read them. You can listen to them. You can do both. You can forward them to a friend, but even more forward covenantcatholic.org to them. They can sign up and receive them in their inbox each and every day. Uh, we're going to have more on that site, but this is a little, uh, what do we want to say? Our, our gift to you, 
as we get everything else ready on that site uh, for, for evangelizing in, in the digital world, the Stations of the Cross, the Rosary Reflections, are our gift to you. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, thank you for spending the first part of your morning with us here at... uh, here on Roadmap to Heaven at Covenant Network. We'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. We look forward to lots of great events that are happening in the area. Have you checked out the Michelle DePong documentary? It's going to be screened next week here in St. Louis. For more information on that, just, uh, well, tune in tomorrow. I'll have more information for you for you tomorrow on that. It's... Uh, or, or just search Michelle DePong movie, D-U-P-P-O-N-G movie, uh, St. Louis, and you should see that pop up. Until tomorrow, though, I'm Adam Wright. Have a great day. Have a blessed day. Be holy today and pray your rosary today. <laughs>